we're back in our Acts Bible study series. Acts chapter 3, be looking at tonight, verses 1 through 10, Lord willing. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. This will be the sixth message out of this sermon series from the, uh, the Acts of Jesus Christ through His Apostles. And I, I know I say it a lot, and maybe you get tired of hearing it, but uh, I want us to emphasize what the Bible says about the early church. Keep that in mind as you read through the, the book of Acts of how the early church behaved themselves and uh, what God taught them and the things that they were, were not to do. Uh, that's one of the things we need to also pay attention to. Um, we'll go ahead and read those first ten verses, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate at the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word tonight. Help us now as we try to expound upon this text, Lord, for just a few minutes. God, that your will be done, God, and your word will go and do work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we left off last week there looking at that early church, the beginning of it, the start of it. I like to refer to it as the empowerment of the church. And that's certainly what happened when Peter stood there on that day of Pentecost and preached and over 3,000 souls were saved. And, uh, and we discussed how that the early church, all they had really available to them uh, was the Old Testament Scripture, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and the Apostles' Doctrine. Those were the three key things that they had to be able to learn about Jesus. And uh, this is what helped them in that first century church. And so tonight, the Lord's wills, we look through at these ten verses, we're going to see the miraculous healing of this lame man, and uh, how the Lord worked through Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he worked through a man to uh, cause this miracle to come about. Look back at verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. All right, so first of all, we find these two powerhouse preachers. Both these guys are powerhouses. I mean, especially Peter that just stood there the day before on the day of Pentecost preaching the fire down and the Holy Spirit and uh, seeing all those people get saved. Well, these men had always been part of the inner circle of Christ. Uh, they were the, some of the first that were called there with uh, Peter's brother uh, and uh, Andrew and Simon Peter and James and John. Those were the first very few disciples called, and they really were the inner circle that we like to call them that. And they were with Jesus and all the miraculous things that took place, even you know being able to witness him on the Mount of Transfiguration. These, these guys were there. 
And they're still being used mightily by God to continue to spread the gospel message across this world. And that's, of course, what Jesus commissioned them to do. In the last part of the last book of Mark there, he tells them to go into all the world and preach the gospel under every creature. And so that's what they're, they're doing. And they're starting at home. And that's where the gospel begins, by the way, is at home. It, it starts in your home. Then it goes right outside your home into your neighborhood. Then it goes into your city. And then it goes into your, I guess, county and then, and then the state. And then it reaches out to other states and through the whole world. And that's how the, the gospel is progressed. That's how it's shared and spread. And so I'm sure that Peter especially was feeling pretty confident at this point in time. I mean, after everything that happened. And they're going into the temple, the Bible says, and that's what they always did. That's where the Jews went. Uh, three times a day they prayed, but it was custom for them to pray three times. And uh, that was part of their daily routine, even as far back as Daniel. If you study the book of Daniel, you'll find that that was one of the things that Daniel insisted he was going to continue doing, despite what you know the, the king said he was going to do. And so back in Daniel, it's first mentioned. In Daniel 6 and 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. So this was something the Jews have always done. And uh, Peter and John, despite you know being Christians now and not really pra- practicing Judaism, they're practicing Christianity, they're still doing those daily routines though. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they're there to worship God and to pray and, and things. So the psalmist writes in Psalms 55 and 17, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Well, it says here in our text that they went at the ninth hour. It said being the ninth hour. The Jews had three different hours that they prayed. The third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth. Their day began at 6 o'clock a.m., is, is what we would we'd think of it as 6 a.m. So the third hour would be 9 o'clock. That's when my work day begins for me. That's when I'm supposed to be there at 9. Uh, the sixth hour would be 12 o'clock noon, which is most people's lunchtime. And then the ninth hour would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So, and that's where we, we, uh, we find here, uh, it says being the ninth hour. So it's around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They're going into the temple about that time. And there would have been a lot of people also as well, not just them, but a lot of people. Look at verse 2. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms. So since all these people would be going into the temple at this time, of course, naturally, that's where this guy's going to be if he's wanting money. Uh, it's just like when you drive down the interstate and you get to that junction there at the end and you've got people, you know, with their signs and wanting money. They go where the most people are going to be congregated at or be present at, where they think they can get the most people. And naturally, that's where he's going to be. I don't know if he was there every single day or how long he's even been. It says he's been lame from his mother's womb. So he's always been in this condition and had to be carried around everywhere he went. Somebody has obviously carried him there. So he had someone that cared for him, that was able to carry him to this place to beg, um, you know. And so notice it does say he was carried. 
And so there's a lot of compassion from somebody there to help him. And uh, I don't know how long he's being, being been carried there to beg for food or beg for money. Alms, that's what he's wanting. He's wanting money uh, to be able to live on, I'm, I'm sure, and to buy food and, and his needs. Uh, we do see in the, the next chapter, Acts 4 and 22, that he was above 40 years old. So he's been this way for quite a while. It says that in Acts 4 and 22, for the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And we'll study on that uh, probably in two weeks. <laughs> but the Bible also mentions about this gate the man was, was laying at, this gate called Beautiful. Now, I've done a little bit of research on this gate to see exactly what, what it could have been. I mean, you call something beautiful, it better be beautiful, <laughs> you know. Uh, you, you wouldn't call something ugly beautiful. And so I did a little bit of research on it, and one of the best explanations I can find was actually from the Jewish historian Josephus. And I don't know if you've ever read his uh, his books, Josephus's books. He's got a book, uh, The War of the Jews. It's about yay thick and long, and so if you... You're having a hard time going to sleep. Get that book out and start reading it, and you'll be right out. Uh, no, it's interesting though. Uh, he tells about uh, the history during the, this time period of things that were going on and happening. He was a, an eyewitness to it, and so was writing this. And he said this about the, these gates. He said, or the gate called Beautiful. He said, now nine of these gates were on every side, covered over with gold and silver, as were the jams of their doors and their lintels. But there was one gate that was without the inward court of the holy house, which was of Corinthian brass and greatly excelled those that were only covered over with silver and gold. Each gate had two doors whose height was severally 30 cubits and their breadth 15. However, they had large spaces within of 30 cubits and had on each side rooms and those both in the breadth and length built like towers and their height was above 40 cubits. Two pillars did also support these rooms and were in circumference of 12 cubits. Now the magnitudes of the other gates were equal one to another, but that over the Corinthian gate, which opened on the east over against the gate of the holy house itself, was much larger, for its height was 50 cubits and its doors were 40 cubits, and it was adorned after a most costly manner, as having much richer and thicker plates of silver and gold upon them, uh, than the others, uh, these nine gates had that silver and gold poured upon them by Alexander, the father of Tiberius. Now there were 15 steps which led away from the wall of the court of the women to this greater gate, whereas those that led thither from the other gates were five steps shorter. <laughs> All right. So that's a, lo that a lot of um, information about this gate, but my goodness, uh, its height was 50 cubits, covered in Corinthian brass. Uh, this thing was worth a pile of money. And no wonder they called it uh, the gate beautiful. Uh, you know, if that uh, lame man had just went down there and chiseled off a little chunk of that gate every time he went, he could he'd had enough money uh, to get by on. Wouldn't have to beg for it. I guess he'd got arrested if he'd done that, though. All right, look at verse four and five. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, "Look on us." And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Uh, I notice that the Lord takes time to mention that Peter and John actually fastened their eyes upon this man. In other words, they paid attention to him. 
Here was a man in need, a man asking help from them, and they actually turned and looked at him in the face, looked at him, made eye contact. Now, you may think, well, yeah, so what? Be honest with me. A lot of times when you're out, let's say you're walking downtown in Market Square. Now, I used to work in the buildings there at Market Square. Our office used to be there downtown. And so for lunch, we went to Market Square to get lunch. Well, you know Market Square is filled full of homeless people. And so they're sitting there waiting, especially at lunchtime, for somebody to come by and give them something. And so you get to where you, you learn some of them. You know their habits and who's going to you know, ask for things and, and things like that. But there comes a time when you don't want to make eye contact because you know if you do, you're, you, they've got you. And, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. I know that sounds terrible, but it's just the truth. And when you face people like that day in, day out, uh, you have to learn how to avoid that. And so uh, otherwise you'd be, you'd be penniless too, and you'd have to be out there begging for money. But uh, we would do that. We'd go to get lunch and, and stuff. You know, I'd help people if I could. If I had some extra money or something, I'd give them money. But sometimes you just didn't make eye contact. You know, you just keep on walking. Or if somebody asks you something, you know, you just reach in your pocket and give it to them and keep walking. Didn't want to really get close to them and, and uh, you know, have some kind of connection. But Peter and John, they're fastening their eyes upon him. They're peering deep into his soul. They're letting him know that he is somebody. Uh, he is somebody that the Lord loves. And we need to have that compassion on people as well. And, you know, I'm not telling you I turned every homeless person away. Of course not. Uh, a lot of times I'd go to McDonald's on the way into work and I'd buy two sausage businesses. I'd leave one on top of the garbage can because I knew this guy was going to come by every time and grab it. And he did. I'd watch him from the, the window in the office. He'd come by and grab that thing and he'd keep on walking. And so, uh, but we did, we do need to uh, let people understand that Jesus loves them. And despite what they may be like, despite they may be nasty and dirty, and despite they may not be like us, and there's a lot of people not like us. This world's filled full of people not like us. And so we have to, like I was talking here before the service, we have to live in this world, you know. And so uh, we need to always be be aware of that and alert. And so they're looking at him in the eyes. And, uh, you know, it's also similar to someone with a disability. Sometimes um, you feel awkward, and so you won't make eye contact because you don't know what to do or what to say or anything like that. Um and sometimes we get the, the idea that out of sight, out of mind. You know, as long as I don't see them, then uh, everything's fine. But it's not. Um, our, our family went to uh, um, Morristown one time. On a, it was just a couple of years ago. We went to Morristown just for a family trip, uh, and we were spending time downtown. And uh, I, I hardly ever carry any cash. I just carry a debit card on me usually. And here was this woman, this woman, we come out of a store, and there was a woman on a bicycle, and I saw her from the store when I knew what she's doing. She's asking for money from people. And she comes up to me on that bicycle, and, she, you know, and she's wanting money, and I said, I don't have any money. And she, she goes, oh, boy, here we go again, and started pedaling off as fast as she could, you know. It hurt my feelings, for one thing, because I really didn't have any money. But I, I did have compassion on her, and, you know, I felt sorry for her. But, uh, uh, you know... We just got to uh, we've got to understand that people are out there. They're in need. They need to know that uh, Jesus loves them. We love them, 
Uh, we may not agree with a lot of things or understand them, but we still love them. Uh, and, of course, just like all preachers, like I said the other day, they don't have any money. Uh, <laughs> you know, Peter and John don't have any money. Last time they had any, Jesus had them go get it out of a fish's mouth, you know. And so, um, but little did this lame man know that he was about to receive the greatest gift that's ever been given to him. Uh, here he's looking for money, and the Bible said he was expect, <coughs> expecting to receive something of them. He was re- expecting a coin. He wasn't expecting what's about to happen. Look at verse 6. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, that statement that Peter just made right there, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, uh, he is more or less saying, by the authority of Jesus, I am going to to heal you. And it's through Jesus' authority, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter himself did not have the means to heal anybody. He could only do that through the Holy Spirit. It's just like you and I. We can't go around touching people and, and healing them, not, not unless the Lord endows us with the Holy Spirit and gives us a gift of healing, you know, and... Um, you know, and like I said uh, a week or so ago, a lot of these apostolic gifts I don't believe are still in practice today. I do know that God can do that if, if it's His desire, but for a normal everyday basis, I don't believe that uh, God has apostles going around this world that's touching people and healing them, uh, like these guys on TV. Uh, old Benny Hinn takes his jacket off and you know says he's healing people. He's not healing anybody. And so, uh, and that's a sad thing. Um, if you've ever, if you know Johnny Erickson, uh, Tata, and if you've ever heard her testimony, she's that lady, she's a quadriplegic, um, dove in a swimming pool and become a quadriplegic when she was young. And she's still, she's still viable today and, and, uh, has a great ministry. But she tells about her testimony and how, uh, she heard about a, a faith healer. And was so excited because she'd heard, you know, people were getting healed. And so she went and with some other people and they got her up there in the line with all these other people in wheelchairs. And they pushed them over to the side in the back. Didn't have anything to do with them. But they had all these people out in the audience. They had already pre-selected that this guy was going to heal. And so, you know, they're in his ear telling him, you know, which row and what he's wearing and everything. And him pointing out at people and then going up and, and saying they're healed and all this. And these people acting like they got healed. And there, Johnny Erickson Tata sitting in that wheelchair. They wouldn't have a thing to do with her. And she knew right then this was nothing but phone, phony stuff. It wasn't real. And so you gotta watch, you gotta watch people. They, uh, all they're wanting is your money and their, and your attention. Your, uh, they want fame and fortune. So they can fly around in a million-dollar jet and and live in a mansion and all that stuff. Friends, that's got nothing to do with God. And so Peter tells him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And uh, that's significant. Um, Look at verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. I love this. Uh, that right there, that those verses, I can just see this in my eyes. Uh, I can just imagine Peter 
reaching down and grabbing that guy by the right hand and pulling him up. And that guy, that guy just whew, right up on his feet. And he was strong. He had strength. His muscles wasn't, he didn't have dystrophy or whatever they call that, you know, where you, you lose everything in your muscles when you, that you don't use them. He didn't have to go to the Patricia Neal and be re- rehabilitated. He didn't have to take some kind of medicine to help grow his bones strong or anything like that. No, immediately, the Bible says, he was leaping, stood up and walked and uh, praising God and leaping. I, I get overwhelmed every time I read about that. And uh, it didn't. he didn't have to work, work something up to get that way. Uh, all the miracles that you see that Jesus performed, even those that were through the, the apostles, they were all immediate. They wasn't a little bit at a time. It wasn't Jesus didn't say, you know, uh, you know, in the, you know, you're healed, uh, and, you know, you'll, you'll continue getting healed if you'll just keep doing this or doing that. You know, no, it was immediate. He brought sight to the, those that were blind, uh, those that were deaf, they could hear, uh, those that were dead rose up. Lazarus didn't have to, you know, be treated any different. He got up and walked out of there. And so uh, they were immediate. God don't halfway do anything. All right, He don't halfway do nothing. And so this uh, this man who's been like this lame all of his life from his mother's womb, the Bible says, he is suddenly able to get up, jump, run, and leap. And uh, I tell you what, now that's a miracle. And uh, notice what he did while he was doing all this. The Bible says in praising God, he wasn't praising Peter. He wasn't praising John. He was praising God. He realized that this miracle came from God because Peter told him in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So that man immediately knew that he's talking about God here. And so he realized that God was responsible for this. He didn't praise man for it. And uh, you know, that's what, that's what we ought to do. We ought to praise God for everything. Just the ability, we was able to drive in here tonight, and I'm telling you, people are completely crazy out there on that road tonight. And uh, I'm thankful that we made it here in one piece. And so, you know, I'm thankful for God for watching over us during all that. But, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times we get in routines and ruts and uh, expecting a certain thing, you know, like we come to church expecting this to happen at this moment and this and the next and this and the next and all that stuff. Sometimes we need to forget about all that and just, you know, allow the Lord to work in us and and thank Him and praise Him for it. I mean, if you think about what He's done for us, He took our black and sin-sick souls and turned us something into something beautiful, a new creature free from sin and heaven-bound. We were, I mean, we were bound for hell because of our sin. Uh, we ought to be thanking Him for it, and we ought to be leaping and praising God just like this man. We may not have been lame from our mother's womb, but I tell you what, we started sinning as soon as we could. Thank God he saved us. Verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. I love this too. All these people, and everybody's been going into that temple three three times, seeing this guy out there begging for money, and so they all know him. He's that bum that you see all the time at the end of the road. It's that guy. And suddenly, here he is, he's running around and jumping up and down and, and yelling out <laughs> praises to God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, so they heard him praising God. 
And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. So we see the results of the power of God. And remember, we've said throughout this study about the Jews requiring a sign. Here's your sign. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 22, For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. Well, boy, they sure got that sign that day. And so this miracle of healing, uh, this man they'd walk past time after time after time, probably for years and years, and they knew he was that beggar that sat there at the temple at the Gate Beautiful. And now all of a sudden he's able to walk. But, you know, the, the great part about it is who he's giving credit to here. And they all heard it. He's crediting God for this. It wasn't Dr. So-and-so down there, you know. <laughs> so what a sight this must have been. And, you know, they're, they're usually, when they're going in here for all this, they're real solemn. Uh, they're going to the temple. They're very quiet. They're reverent. They're worshiping. They're praying. And now it's being interrupted by real worship. This guy is, this is true worship. He is coming in and jumping up and down and praising God for what he's done for him. And so I believe this may be the Lord trying to get their attention. You know, he, he's the God of, of uh, you know, he, he loves our praise. He loves our glory. He, he loves our, our worship. And he wants us, he wants those who will come and worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what he's doing. He's in spirit and in truth worshiping him. How many times do we, do we come to church out of habit, sit on the pew and, and deny him of what he really wants from us? You know, we need to, to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so little do they know here in just a few minutes, Peter's going to stand up and he's, he's going to start preaching again and he's going to introduce them to the one that caused this miracle to come about. And uh, I tell you what, I couldn't think of a better way to have church than they had church that day. Seeing a wonderful miracle, hearing God being praised and glorified. And look, it takes a heart filled with joy to be that way. A heart filled with joy, unbridled worship. It flows from a thankful heart out of adoration for the Lord Jesus and for what he's done for us. He is the one that changed our lives and changed them forever. And so we should approach each and every church service the same way. Uh, you know, never routine, never mundane or, or monotonous. You know, what a difference it may make in our worship if we would think of it in that way to worship him in spirit and truth, just like this lame man did. And I think that may be the whole purpose of this whole passage is to show us what God wants from us. And he's, he's there to help us and heal us. Just like this man, you may not be lame, but he, he'll heal you from, from your spiritual uh, problems and things that's going on. And uh, I tell you, I'm, I'm glad about that. All right, we're going to stop right there. And Lord will pick up in the next part of that next week. And uh, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you tonight thanking you so much for the message tonight. I pray that it's been helpful. God, I thank you for, for showing us these things in your word. Lord, and for how wonderful it is. God, thank you for the privilege of having the word of God. Thank you for the privilege of being able to come to church on a Wednesday night, God, and to, to worship you and to, to teach and preach about you, to sing about you. Help us, Father. We love you. Help this church, Lord, be those that we mentioned earlier in our prayer request. May we think about them all week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.